Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, the critically acclaimed and award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Kincaid, in Upper Gwynedd Township, Montgomery County, where it's hot as hell out here. Uh, yet I see people walking around with their pumpkin stuff and the apple cider. I, you know, it's too early for me. But uh, it may or may not be too early for our next guest returning to the program from the Philly soccer page. It's Peter Andrews. Peter, how are you, man? Hey, I'm good. It's good to see you. Um, I'm not a pumpkin, just not a pumpkin flavor guy generally. So I, I have not progressed to that yet. Not um, at all. You're not. So not even like, uh, you know, a football Friday in October. If I gave you a uh, Southern tier pumpkin, you would turn it down. Nah. Okay. That I would have to think about, you know, okay. but I'm not a, I'm not, let's put it this way. I haven't run to Starbucks to get a, a pumpkin spice uh, at any point in my life. So let's not start now. I haven't run to Starbucks in uh, something like five years. So um, <laughs> more of a Dunkin' Donuts guy myself, but listen, One, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, just on running to things. You know, the last time you, I was on the podcast was yeah. the week that the pandemic started. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, because we were talking about the uh, the the Jacob Glesness free kick, the first one, the yeah, first, the first or the first banger. I'm sorry, the, the other one was not a free kick, but the first Glesness banger, right? Well, I went back and I went back and listened to the first two minutes of it, and I started with a joke about social distancing, and I don't think I I don't think it's aged well with time, because you know, no, <laughs> I feel like a dickhead myself because like at the beginning of the pandemic, we were all kind of laughing and joking, like, "Well, wash your hands," you know. I had a Moby on. And the name of the podcast was social distancing. And I think like we left it. I'm like, all right, just we'll see you soon. Just stay six feet away from everybody and just wash your hands. And, you know, we're all good right now. It's a year and a half later. And I feel like a dickhead because you know, <laughs> now we got the Delta <laughs> going around that. I don't, you know, the there's fights at the North Penn school board meeting across the street from me. And uh, are we doing masks? Are we not doing masks? You got to get a, a booster shot. What the hell's going on? I don't know. But uh yeah, it has been a while since I've had you on, but thanks for coming for coming back. I think this is the third time I've had you here. And, you know, we joke about pumpkin spice and things like that, but this is a serious podcast, a serious <laughs> Philadelphia Union podcast. And, you know, I always like to toss it to the guest uh, first for the first thought. And I want to kind of go macro. The last podcast we did uh, was after the uh, Champions League game. So we talked about Club America ad nauseum. So we're going to talk about New York City and Montreal and kind of what the union are right now. Uh, a draw against Montreal, bailed out by Quinn Sullivan. They had the one nothing win uh, against New York the uh, the week prior or earlier in the week. And as it stands, they're third place in the East with 32 points. And so I think we would all be very happy with that. But then on the flip side, uh, there's only five points separating third place from eighth place. So you could make the uh, – if you wanted to go Positadelphia, you could go Positadelphia. If you wanted to go Negadelphia, you could go Negadelphia too. So Peter Andrews, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty for you? 
I'm going to I'm going to go Negadelphia, but just barely, because I do think this is a it's a perfectly half glass. Um, but I'm going to go Negadelphia and say it's half empty because I think I think this team is underachieving. And I think that's a little surprising because coming into the year, I think, you know, you lost Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. You would have said there's nothing wrong with this team not winning the Supporters' Shield again this year. And they're not going to, because obviously New England's running away with that thing. But what we've seen, I think that's the reason I'm Negadelphian is that um, there's something this team is clearly good at, which is defense. You know, they're doing what Jim wants, which is um, to keep the goals per game under one. And they pretty much always do that. They've been really strong defensively, even with some individual errors. But they have not been good offensively. They have not been good to watch and they have not been able to integrate some really interesting signings. Um, specifically, you know, we can get into this Daniel Gazdag, who I was so excited about watching his highlight clip and it hasn't really clicked yet. And they're not scoring goals and they're in a position where, um, you know, they go down one nil and you are waiting until the 87th minute for, the teen of the match to come out and score a, a magnificent goal. Um, it's been, it's been a little disappointing and I, you know, we can talk a little bit about what's going on attacking wise. I have my thoughts. I'm sure you have your thoughts, but I, I think they could be doing more. And if they were, I think this team would be a solidly home playoff game instead of where they're scrapping, you know, they're kind of on the, they're closer to falling out of the playoff picture than they are to top seed. I'd, I'd say I agree with you. I'm a little more Negadelphia right now. I think if you looked at the table and you see third place, we would all take that, especially after all the shitty union teams that we've written about over the years. But I, what I think is happening is that I don't think they're passing the eye test right now. Yeah. Um, you know, even the goals they're giving up are goals they wouldn't normally give up. You know, Gleson's falling asleep the other night. And the goals they're scoring are, are goals that aren't sustainable, aren't really reliable. Okay, you're not going to get Kai Wagner off his right foot to a, a unmarked Alejandro Bedoya header in the box, right? Yeah, that's not going to happen very often. Likewise, you can't be re- relying on Quinn Sullivan to come in and score a banger for you in the 87th minute at the same time. And it all goes it all goes back to a topic that we've that we've kind of hit on on this podcast the last couple months and and the post game show if you've been listening to us on the Gambler. But I don't know what their offensive identity is. And you mentioned that Jim Curtin, a defensive coach, you know, they're always Jim Curtin teams are always going to be hard to beat. They're not going to give you anything easy. They're going to mitigate, uh, you know, dangerous chances. And they're always going to be like hard, hard to break down. And that is that is their overall identity. But offensively, last year, they were a pressing team. They would turn you over. They get out in transition. They'd slice and dice. And they're pretty damn good at it. This year, they've pretty much given up entirely on the press. I rarely see them press in games. And so you're not pressing. Um, you don't have the personnel to play four, two, three, one. Really, they tried it a little bit uh, a couple games ago. Um, you don't have Elsino really. Elsino's kind of, I think personally, he's he's done, and we've seen the best of him, and it's, we're not going to get back to that. So, if you're not pressing, and if you're not going to make your four, two, three, one tactical switch, and you're not going to have Elsino to to create magic for you off the bench, then what are you? You know, like I, I don't, I just don't know what they are. And I don't, you know, when they have the ball in possession, I don't know where they're going. The shuttlers aren't involved. The strikers are just kind of Sergio Santos is running his butt off, but everybody else is kind of standing around up there. Gosh, dog doesn't seem very involved. I want to give him sniffing. I want to give him like smelling salts to wake him up and say, yo, like, get involved. But to me, that's what it is. I just, I, I don't know what they are. Well, so I have some thoughts and I'm curious what you think about some of them. The, the first, um, and just a preface, 
you know, we say they're third in the East. You look at it on points per game, they're fifth. Right. And that's right. So these other teams have gained in hand and that, you know, I, I think that the points per game is a little bit more of an accurate description, but well, so Nashville, let's talk- real, real, real quick here. I'll say Nashville's yeah. third fourth, but they got 1.6 PPG, New York city's 1.63 PPG. So really, yeah, it's, it's really, really small numbers, but yeah, technically they are. Yeah. They would be fifth if you went by PPG. So, you know, offensively and <clears throat> the way I kind of see every attack from the union going is, they you're right they're not pressing so they're not turning other teams over in dangerous parts of the pitch it just has not been happening so what's happening is they're getting the ball their own third the middle third um they kind of kick it around a little bit and then you know jack elliott or glesnes and they have this ball so it's a fine ball to play but they'll either spray it to one of the wings or they'll hit a ball over the top kind of in the vague direction of one of the strikers right so there's burke and there's shiboko and santos and they're running around those are low percentage balls the balls are going out to the wing for a cross. Those are low percentage plays. You know, you're pumping in a lot of crosses at, at a packed box. And so my thought has been, how do you create that space in the middle of the field where you can actually open up a defense? That's what the union are doing right now. They're not opening up that middle, that middle area where other teams are just saying, like, if you want to go wide, that's fine. We are not going to let you – uh, we're not going to let you run up in the middle of the field. And what I think is confusing is you have a guy like Gazdog who should be able to flit in and out of that area, receive balls that are pinged into him, mm-hmm. turn and either attack or feed a striker, or you know, then the defense is compressed and so there's space out wide for better attack. But Gazdog is playing, whether by design or by instincts he's like five yards off the strikers at all times he's so high yeah he's playing so high up the pitch and you can really see it like um from the press box you got to come come by the press box sometime kevin i know i've only been to one game this year i i I wish i could come down to more but he's he is so close to burke and shabilko and some of that is and santos some of that is bad just because it allows the defense to take him out of the game but it's also leaving this vacuum where there's no pass to be played. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I wonder, like, you know, I've said a lot of stuff, but here's, here's the question to you is what would you be having Gazdag do differently if you're Jim Curtin? Well, I think it probably starts first with uh, the strong side shuttler. And, mm-hmm. you know, so if they're playing on the, say they're playing like kind of on the left or whatever, if Jamiro is over there, he needs to come back and get on the ball and be the guy to kind of receive from, from Jose Martinez, because the only place that Martinez really has to go with the ball right now is to one of the fullbacks. Mm-hmm. So he's playing in Baizo or he's playing Wagner, or he's just kind of booting a diagonal forward and trying to hit one of the strikers. But, you know, it has to go block by block. So the, the shuttler has to get involved somehow. I mean, and that, that was the thing that we talked about a lot this year with Jamiro's playing as the number 10. So when you had Flock and Bedoya in there, they're not they're not possession players. They're not they're not attack builders. You know, and Ali is can knock the ball around and he'll get up on the right side there and and, and play some great combinations with the Bizo. Saw that early in the season. You saw that with Ray Gaddis in years past. But uh, you know, Ali Bedoy is not going to be a guy who drops like back to the center backs and receives the ball and turns and then connects. He's not he's not Darlington Nagby. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the eights 
in this system, when you have Bedoya and Flock there, they're not they're not ball movers. You know, they're not, they're not they're not taking it from back to front. So that's why I've been harping so much on Jamiro being the number eight because he's at least a guy who will come back and get on it and try to try to take it from that back line to the midfield line forward. And then what that should theoretically do to answer your question is that when Jamiro vacates that space and pulls people towards him, then that should open up that kind of they call it the green zone between the center back, between the defensive line and the midfield line where you can get balls into feet. And that's what they were doing with Brendan Aronson in year two. Now, Brendan Aronson in year one was not necessarily this guy who was finding all this time and space on his feet, you know, these balls that, were, that split that second line. Um, but he did a really good job of it last year. And so they just don't, they don't have that back to front connection. You know, the strikers are standing around up there. The fullbacks are doing what they can. Uh, the center backs, you see how many times you see Jack Elliott and Jacob Gless's maraud forward because they're so annoyed that nobody can can push the ball forward themselves, you know? So I think it's just for, I, I think there's just a missing piece in the middle there to kind of co- connect the dots from, from back to front. And uh, ironically, most of their success is where they just bypass it completely and just go direct or play straight over the top or into the corners. Yeah, that green zone, which Jim has talked about so much. You know, we've heard a lot. It's called zone 14, too, I think, sometimes. But they yeah, have very Doyle things. was big on that. For Yeah, there was a thing a couple of years ago where they kind of blocked, just so people know what we're talking about, they had blocked off the field into, like, numbered quadrants uh, to yeah. say, like, where do we want the ball to be played most of all? So, like, that 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 central area in front of the two center backs, but behind the defensive mid, that's what they called zone, zone 14 and or, you know, the green zone. Yeah, and you're just not – they're not – possessing that they're not getting touches in the green zone and that is the sort of thing that will allow you to create scoring chances because and i think this is the theory right is you get the ball in there and it's not necessarily saying that you know you're you could be 25 yards from goal you're not going to rip it from there when the ball comes into that area you discombobulate the defense because you've got center backs you have to make decisions you've got defensive midfielders got to make decisions and you can get your your guys up the pitch, you can get your fullbacks into a position where they can make a run in behind. And right now it's a little too easy on opposing defenses. Um, you know, I <clears throat> Montreal um, is not a particularly good team. And I thought it was a little too easy for them on, what was that, Saturday night, to just kind of sit there and and frustrate the union by letting everything go down the, the flanks. And, and those aren't dangerous chances. And, of course, the goal that is scored, the ball rolls to Quinn Sullivan in the green zone, and yeah. he, you know, he absolutely murders that ball. Like I, I could not believe how hard that kid hit the ball. It He's was- got a lot of. Um, doesn't he have a lot of Fontana in him? He does. Like, all come off the bench, no bullshit. Get me on the ball. I'm gonna fire. Like, I feel like I'm watching the same exact uh, same exact player out there. Well, well, I think the difference. The the only difference I would say is I think. Um, we've seen Sullivan have some passing in his locker that there, that Fontana has not shown as much hmm. um, or it's taken a little bit longer for Fontana to develop that. But Sullivan has played some really nice combinations. Uh, I'm thinking of that Miami goal where he and Gazdog created the goal by playing a little like one, two around the edge of the box gets him in. And then he, he yeah. makes that cross. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think he's an exciting prospect. Um, I've seen a little bit more to like from him than from McGlynn, who maybe McGlynn is just not going to be as flashy of a player, but um, you know, but it, what does it say that the union are like relying on these, like they, they score all these late goals because they can't score any other time. And then you have yeah. the teenagers come in, in the 75th minute and try to do stuff. But they're uh, still, you know, they're still wearing teams down and they're still super fit 
and they're still well-drilled and they're going to win these wars of attrition and they're going to grind other teams down, even if they're not pressing them for 70 minutes. You know, it's like the anti-Red Bull. It's like Red Bull comes out pressing the shit out of you and then they just tire themselves out around the 70th minute. But the Union do kind of get better as the game goes on and they score the majority of their goals in the second half. Ironically enough, they're bottom five though. Um, I got the stats in front of me here. They're bottom five in scoring from open play, only 12 open play goals. They scored twice on a counterattack. They have nine set-piece goals, which is tied for first in Major League Soccer, and they have two penalties um, and an own goal that they've benefited from. But um, kind of going to mash a couple thoughts together here. Number one, I think McGlynn doesn't look like a number eight in the system. He's slow. Um, he looks like he would be a decent number eight as like a double pivot and like a four-two-three-one or something like that. Uh, Quinn Sullivan needs to be subbed on the field earlier. Than the 81st minute. I mean, you got your subs, use them. Gosh, dog, I think, you know, people like to do the take where it's like, well, he just played a full season in Hungary and he saved his team from relegation and all that stuff. And those are great points. Those are valid points. I can't argue with any of those. I can't dive into the dude's head or feel his body or anything like that to know how tired he is or he isn't. But regardless, like, I just don't, I don't see, you know, I watched the Montreal game the other day and I see like Georgie Mihailovic. I see Torres like just buzzing around the ball and looking for it and coming to it and demanding it and trying to get involved. And Gosh Dog right now looks like a guy who's just letting the game come to him. Like, dude, you're the number 10. Like, the game does not come to the number 10. If you're a center back, you're a goalkeeper, you're a fullback, the ball is going to find you. You're going to touch the ball because you're not non dangerous areas, right? But if you're a number 10, you got to go fucking find the ball. Like I want to just sh- like shake him, not violently, but just like like uh, hit like a little bit and say like, yo, wake up, man! You got to come find it. You got to get on it. Like you're not new here anymore. Like you know the system. You know what you're being asked to do. Um, and we've seen flashes of brilliance from you. We've seen some creativity from you with those back heels and whatnot. So, so let's let's see it. You know, let, come come get into it. You know, you have this opportunity. I'm at the point right now. <clears throat> I can't believe I'm saying this because I was banging the drum for Jamiro at the eight all year long based on how good he was last year when they won a damn trophy with him playing that position. But if you gave me the starting 11 right now, I'd have Gosh Dog playing as a forward. I'd have Jamiro as the 10. I'd have Flock at the 8. I'd have Bedoya at the other 8. And i have Martinez at the 6. I know that defeats what I kind of just said about you need to have a guy who can move the ball back and forth like that. But they weren't even really doing that when Jamiro was in there the other day. So one of the shuttlers needs to come back and get on the ball, take it and move it forward. And then whoever's playing the number 10 has to be the next guy has to be looking for the ball from that guy because it's just not happening right now. They're not, they're not making defenses work hard. They're not moving off the ball. They're not making other guys move and follow them around. And just to wrap up the thought, I would say as a center back playing defender my entire life, the one thing I don't want to do, the one thing that no center back wants to do is we don't want to move. If you're just going to stand there off my back shoulder, I will just stand there with you. You know, but what, what's annoying is when you start moving left and right, and I got to talk to my partner, and I got to say, hey, he's coming to your side. Hey, he's going back over here. Watch your right shoulder. Hey, Olivier, watch your, watch your left shoulder on this side. He's coming through the channel. Or if that guy sinks and tries to drop forward, and I got to go follow him, you know? So you, the defenders don't want to move forward, and they don't want to move backward. They don't want to move sideways, you know? So, but if you're just going to stand there waiting for service, that, that's the easiest thing that you can do for a defender, you know? Yeah, I mean – the, the the question of how to structure the midfield, I think you're kind of making a, a decision between it's almost to me about flock is almost the key guy, because what you're saying about the shuttlers, 
So I, I'm not convinced by Jamiro at the 10. I just don't think it works. And we, we can talk in a second. Obviously, there's been some real drama with Jamiro. Um, I don't think Jamiro at the 10 works. I think you can get Gazdag moving at the 10. So the question is, who do you put at the shuttlers to give you the most success there? Yeah. And I think the real problem is, like, Flock has been awesome defensively. He's been really good, way better than everyone thought. And he's exactly the kind of player that Jim is going to love and clearly does love. And that is all well and good, but he's not giving you any shuttling. <laughs> I mean, he yeah, yeah, he gives you nothing, absolutely nothing going forward. So I think you're better off at least, you know, let, let's assume that Jamiro is part of the team. Um, I think you're better off sticking with Jamiro and Bedoya, which is a shuttler combination that won you the, the shield last year, trying to get Gazdog involved, maybe adding, you know, getting this new striker involved, trying to come get one of the strikers hot. And then you use Flock as your, he comes in, he kills off a game in the 60th minute for Gazdog if you scored a goal, or he spells Brujo when Brujo inevitably gets suspended again, mm-hmm. or he gives Bedoya a rest because every now and then, like, I, I mean, everyone sees that Bedoya has, is, is not quite as energetic as he once was yeah, where he can yeah. go 90 minutes every game. So that's kind of the thing. And then, but to make that work, you got to have Jamiro part of the team, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funky. And um, just to back up something you were saying earlier, um, I'm on who scored right now, who scored.com crosses per game, Philadelphia union, 23, number one in major league soccer through balls per game, one tied for dead last long yeah. balls per game, 64 tied for second short passes per game, 330 24th out of 27 teams and um here's the thing with flock i think philadelphia union fans have this thing where they kind of and this is the, i think a philadelphia sports fan thing in general but i think like when a new guy comes in and he shows you something right off the bat you like latch onto this dude right away leon flock is the tyrese maxi of the philadelphia union what i mean by that is a fine young player he's got a future here or somewhere else maybe for the national team um Looks like a solid pickup by all means. People seem to love him, but he's not there yet, you know, and he's he's a good two-way grinder, works his ass off, gets back, puts slide tackles in, wins the ball, um, positionally very sound, uh, looks like he gives a shit and has the right attitude and mindset. But, yeah, if Bedoya is not going to be the guy to connect back to front flock, it has to be able to do that, and he can't. And Martinez is not a good enough guy. He's not if, – if Jose Martinez was Brian Carroll – or Ozzy Alonso or Diego Char or something, you could get by with the shuttlers not being possession people, but it's just not the case, right? So um, it's just funky. They, they need – if you're going to have a two-way grinder and another grinder, and it's like they got three grinders at the two-way positions of the six, which is great, but you need – at some point, somebody's got to do less grinding and more connecting. And so I think that's kind of like where they fall apart right now. They just don't have a lot of ideas moving forward. Um all right, let's talk about the Jamiro thing. Because I told people that I would talk about this on the latest podcast. I didn't like write it on Crossing Broad. I didn't report it anywhere else because I wasn't because to be quite honest, I wasn't really sure like if it's my place to do it or not. Like I do this podcast. I'm not a beat writer anymore. And I do the post game show on the gambler, but is it like my job to break news or whatever? I don't know if it is or isn't, but I feel like fans deserve to hear the the truth, like regardless, right? So what happened with Jamiro Montero was that he was unhappy about being subbed out of the Miami game uh, after the Orlando game came out around like 60 or 70 minutes or whatever that was, wasn't happy about it. And there was a big blow up in the locker room and there was an argument and guys were yelling at each other. 
Ernst Tanner got involved and told Jameer he was out of line. This is what I was told by a couple people was that Ernst got involved and told Jameer that he's out of line. And they just had this big sort of like blow up argument kind of shit slinging in the locker room. Um, and so Ernst stepped in and said, um, we're not going to play you. Right. And he essentially, the word that I was told was that he was suspended for a couple games. Now, everybody already knows, I think, that he was already suspended for the Club America game because he had the yellow card accumulation earlier in the Champions League. So I heard a lot of people say, well, we could use Jamiro right now for the Club America game, but he wouldn't have been able to play regardless, right? So that was a, a sidebar thing. Um, so so that's what I was told. There was an argument. There was a blow up. Ernst got involved. It literally, I was told that it didn't really involve Jim Curtin. And it was more of like a Jamiro versus Ernst kind of thing and that he was unhappy with being subbed and blah, blah, blah. Now, that's one part of it. There's three parts of this. The other part is that John Tannenwald reported that his family, um, he hadn't been able to see him for a while and that was causing stress on his general situation over here. That's true. That is also true. Um, it was a sidebar. It was just one part of this this whole thing. But I, I guess Jamiro said that um, after the last game, I guess he did an availability with you guys and he said like I his family's over here. He was able to see him or something. So that situation was remedied, right? Okay, so that was part two. Part three was you had the connection to like these these transfer rumors, like Feyenoord and uh, Anderlecht, I think, were the other ones. And Jameer's agent came out um, and and talked about those, which is interesting. You know, normally the agent doesn't get involved unless they're trying to push something through, or they really, really want somebody to report something. Like, long story short, if you're a reporter, one of the first things you're told is do not fucking trust any agents at all because they've only they I mean they've got their clients. Um, best interest in mind. Right. And then they're looking out for their, their client and they want a certain thing out there or whatever. Right. I'm not saying all agents are bad, but like you usually got to take it with a grain of salt. So the agent comes out and says, yeah, you're working on a transfer to this team or that team or whatever. Um, I was told that they were exploring some transfers with him before the blow up and before he got pulled. Um, but the, basically when the blow up happened, then the agent came in from my understanding and tried to accelerate the process and say, okay, well, if he's on the outs here, if he's on bad terms with the sporting director, let's try to facilitate this and let's try to get out of here now. So they may still transfer him. I don't know. Um, but that kind of cooled off for now. And uh, the final point that I wanted to make about that was that if there were super legit um, links to him going overseas we would have heard that from foreign outlets mm -hmm. and as far as i'm concerned we didn't like i correct me if i'm wrong but there was no report from belgium about anderlecht or there was no report in the netherlands about Feyenoord, right like we it was only american-based rumors which is always it always makes you suspicious and i don't mean i'm not like trying to demean any of the reporting that's done by american guys i don't mean to do that at all but what i'm saying is usually the leaks come out overseas first because american teams are more buttoned up and don't and don't leak as much as like the foreign press does so normally like when you see like a sergio santos or like a um a jacob glessons or stuff like that they all they always originate those first transfer rumors come from overseas and then normally you got a guy like tana or somebody else who follows up and says yeah i can confirm this or i've also learned this or something like that so there was reason to be suspicious about all that and i was i was just kind of wary of it in the first place i'm like wait all of a sudden these transfer rumors came out of nowhere when we hadn't heard a damn thing about it before so that's kind of the gist of it. Basically, all three of those things are true. They were looking at a transfer. Um, it didn't happen. They may still transfer him. The family thing was true, and that seems to be remedied. But, yeah, he was disciplined for the, this blow up in the locker room, and um, apparently it's all good now, and everybody um, patched it up, and he's back in the team. And then, look, to advance the thing and to toss it back to you, um, they're a much better team when Jamiro Montero's in the lineup. Well, they're a much better team when Jamiro Montero's in the lineup, but. Um, 
you know, and we, we talked about this story before the podcast, so I'm not reacting to this off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. the, the, you know, there's, there was a lot of reason to be suspicious about everything that was going on related to Jamira, especially, you know, the only solid report on what was going on was from Tannenwald. And he said, it's a family issue. If it was a family issue, the agent would not be then saying, well, we're looking at a transfer to a Western conference MLS team because it's going to be the same family issue in that event. That's so true. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a little bit of, of, of confusion going on there. This, the story about the blow up in the locker room is interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, one of which is you could see it on TV when he got subbed off, he looked pissed. Um, yeah. And I mean, he wasn't playing well in that game, but it was also such a huge surprise that he was. Ta- I remember sitting at home watching on TV and thinking, like, they're hauling Jamiro off. Like, when's the last time you saw Jamiro got subbed out of a game at, the, at that stage? Um, and some of that is, you know, a Jim is just a very predictable guy in terms of his substitution patterns. Um, yeah. I. Yeah. Mike, Mike Cervetia will tell you that I could sometimes I predict it almost to the minute sometimes what subs Jim is going to make because he's just <laughs> that predictable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But so like, what is it that makes Jamiro lose his mind in the locker room like that? Is it just, you know, because if it's just one game, if it's just like, boy, we had this miserable road trip to Florida and I hate it here and I can't see my family and it's like hot and, uh, you know, I hate being subbed out and someone <laughs> looked at me the wrong way. You know, that happens like that happens in, in any I think that happens in pro sports teams. It happens in like sports teams up and down. You know, I, you know, I play in like when I was living out in Denver, I was in a rec league where like, you know, sometimes a guy comes in. that's like he's looking to get a red card in the first five minutes of the game. You're like <laughs> having like a bad day at home. So yeah. so that's one thing. But the 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 question then is like, is this a symptom of a deeper problem between Jamiro Montero and the union? And we don't know the answer to that question because and I would say I would say I left out one detail. Sorry. Um, yeah, there is a guy on the team that Jamiro doesn't really get along with necessarily. Um, who he's kind of at odds with currently. Um, it may have been just general frustration from that, um, or just I mean, generally the team maybe knows that they're not playing as well as they could, and so things just kind of frustrations naturally boil yeah. over because you're like, hey, we're better than this, and you know we expect this, we expect that. I don't think, and you and you can. Um, maybe you, you know better than I do, but Jamiro is not really a guy who does a lot of, I mean, I guess you see, I guess you see points on the field where he's frustrated that maybe like a pass didn't come off or like he felt like somebody could have played the ball to him or he could have played the ball better or something. He does show a little bit of emotion. It's not, it's not like Bedoya where he's like throwing his hands up like crazy, but he's allowed to do that because he's the captain. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that it did seem a little uncharacteristic for him to, to, the way that he acted when he was, when he was subbed. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I mean, I think the union have kind of an interest. Their lineup has an above average number of what I would consider to be prickly guys in it. Like Mm -hmm. guys who are out on the field and who are, um, Seem seem really grouchy. I mean, like Jose Martinez always getting people's faces. Jacob Blesnes <laughs> loves actually loves to get in people's faces. Kai yeah. Wagner loves to shove a guy. Um, I think Montero likes that too to an extent. Even Shabilko will like, you know, Shabilko will like run over and like shoulder a guy or whatever. So, you know, these are competitive professionals and these things happen. I, I don't I don't know. I don't have any I mean, I don't have any inside information. I Jamiro Montero is the union's highest paid player. He's their designated player. He's uh, a guy who expects to play every minute and you know it's a long season these things happen sometimes it's just notable because 
I think the thing that kept, you know, the union supporter shield win last season was partly because um, Jim Curtin and the group did such a terrific job of staying together in situations that tore mm-hmm. apart the yeah. rest of the league. Exactly. They, they won the shield because they handled the pandemic better than anyone else. They handled playing in empty stadiums, all the bullshit of, you know, having to have these crazy schedules and play new England eight times. And, um, you know, they talked about how the MLS's back tournament rest in peace was like, <laughs> you know, this great moment that brought them all together. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever reason, that's a, that's a tough thing to sustain. Right. So you it know. is. Yeah. And that was, and I agree with you hundred percent on that. Like mentally they were like motherfuckers last year. They were so hyper-focused and they, they just like had the eyes on the prize and it was, it was so impressive, you know, especially, you know, for me, from, from the perspective now of, you know, covering the Sixers and dealing with all the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid crap where it's like a roller coaster of like, Oh, I'm happy. Oh, I'm sad. Oh, I'm happy. Oh, I'm sad. But you know, I mean, to go back to the point real quick about like how they get along behind the scenes, like I think people might have a misunderstanding that just cause everybody's like playing well together out there, the team's doing well or whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean the dudes are like love each other, you know? And like uh, Brett Brown had an interesting quote when it was the height of the, uh, you know, the does, does Joel Embiid even like Ben Simmons the topic was all over social media or whatnot. And, and Zach Lowe, I think from ESPN was in Brett's office and he asked him about it. And he said, Brett said, look, these guys don't have to be going to a pizza party on Friday night together. Like they don't have to be like holding a sleepover at each other's house. You know, there's a professional relationship, but then there's a personal relationship. And I think whether you like a guy or not, or whether you think that a guy gets preferential treatment or whatever the case may be, normally you turn that off when you when you play with them you know i mean even in like pickup games or something you play a pickup game for a year there might be some guys you think is a dickhead and you don't necessarily like you wouldn't go after the game you're not going to go to the brewery and get a beer with them right but you turn it off and say like hey we're on the same team this pickup game we're both wearing white you know and you know we both wore this shirt so now we're on the same team today so so you turn it off and it's, it's fine and it's no problem but um yeah i would just say that like no team um that's playing well no nobody is a hundred percent ever like on the same page or like it's not like they all love each other uh, unconditionally you know but that's just the nature of having a bunch of different personalities and dudes from different countries and speaking different languages and things like that trying to trying to all coexist and i think now that you see this with the jamira thing and how they're playing this year i think i think it makes what they did last year even more impressive yeah and i mean look i i have you know, I've written about the team for a lot of years and for a long time, I've been very critical of Jim Curtin. And there are some things about the way he manages it that just are going to irritate me because they're stylistically different from the way that I like to watch soccer. And I think there's things he does that are confusing, but I think it's tough. Like you can't argue that he's bad at this side of the game, the managing of the players right. he is really good at. And, you know, last year he won coach of the year and he should have won coach of the year. He, what he did in terms of keeping that locker room together during the pandemic was, you know, a, a really quite an accomplishment. And so the reason to be optimistic for the rest of this season is that Jim's the same guy is that he, you know, he is going to be the one who has got to get the plane landing. I mean, the metaphor doesn't work. Cause yeah, that's a Brett Brown line. He's a, we got to land the plane <laughs> in terms of the, the, the playoffs. We got to keep Joel and beat healthy. Yeah, and Brett Brown's off in the woods of Maine somewhere. Yeah, and so, playing, probably enjoying himself too. Um, so, but so you know, Jim is the, the kind of coach who would be able to, I think, bring a player back from the fold, and especially a guy. You know, it's not like 
Um, I won't quote, I won't name any of the like malcontents the union have had in the past, but I don't think Jamiro Montero is necessarily a malcontent. And so you want to get, you know, you want to get him back in the lineup. You want to get him back producing and you want to get um, that midfield working because that's the key to actually doing anything in the rest of the season. All right. So let's end it on a positive note. Um, give me a reason or what, what makes you optimistic about the union going forward uh, champions league and or MLS season? Well, I mean, I think, so I am really interested in uh, Matthews Davo, um, who's a name we have not talked about yet. And who, frankly, I could be totally mispronouncing, but he's a striker that brought in on loan and I believe it's like an option to buy or they have bought him effectively at the end of the season. But, you know, a young guy comes out of Brazil. He's got a lot of, um, uh, from what I was reading, people think pretty highly of him. Um, and the strikers that the union have are all kind of, you know, they're not, they're not complete players. None of them are. They're all streaky. Um, I think you can point to things about each of Shabilko, Burke, and Santos that drive you a little crazy um, if they played every single day. Um, <clears throat> and I think the more – just the way they have to approach that position is the more bodies that you have that you can throw at the striker position, uh, the better the odds you'll find one of them who gets hot. Um, and so I'm curious to see if Davo actually – pushes his way into the lineup, if his presence makes those strikers a little bit more effective, you can see what a guy like Sergio Santos can do when he's on because he single-handedly destroys Toronto FC every time he plays them. And the question is, why doesn't he do that every game? Or, you know, you can see what Chibilko does when he gets on one of these runs where he scores every single game, the most random goals possible, but he, he always gets the finish. He's in a total dead spell right now where he cannot find the ball. Um, so the, that's a long way of saying that I think that the, the striker core, if, they, if one or two of them get hot, that could really get the team on a run that would push them into the place where they can be dangerous in the playoffs. I would write off the Champions League. I just don't think they can do it. My reason for positivity is Jack Elliott, Jacob Lesnes, Andre Blake, Kai Wagner, and Olivier Ambizo. Uh, as long as the defense plays the way they're capable of playing, they will be in every single game. They're not going to get their doors blown off. They're not going to lose three, nothing. They're going to be competitive. And Martinez in front of them too. And Martinez in front of them. And like I always say, it always falls on the defenders to drag everybody else to the finish line. We're always putting out fires and, you know, helping out the lazy ass strikers can't score a damn goal. So again, I would just give props to, uh, uh, my defensive partners in spirit. I'm not on the field, but I would like to be. Um, for now, it'll just be YSC uh, pickup games at a much lower level. Uh, Peter Andrews from the Philly soccer page, everybody. Thanks again for jumping on, man. It's always a good conversation when we have you on. Uh, very pragmatic thoughts about the Philadelphia Union. Honesty, I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to get bullshitted by you. And so I appreciate that. Oh, I, I appreciate every time you have me on. You can, if you want more pragmatic, non-bullshit thoughts about the Philadelphia Union, uh, you can follow me on uh, on Twitter uh, at PF Andrews. I don't think, you know, I'm I'm an attorney. I don't think they're going to let me put a pragmatic non-bullshitter on my <laughs> profile on the website, but um, I'll run it up the flagpole. So. There you go. Well, some some lawyers, not all. 
some lawyers like to lie, but uh, that's a podcast for another time <laughs> with another lawyer. So, <laughs> all right, man, thanks. I appreciate it. All right, let's see what you got for me in the way of questions, comments, and concerns. I also asked if you wanted to share your favorite Rolling Stones song as we pay tribute to the late Charlie Watts, who passed away this week, I guess. Charlie was the uh, drummer for the Rolling Stones, and I think they went out on tour, but without him, or he decided he wasn't going to tour because he couldn't do it anymore, and then he ended up passing away anyway, so that's a bummer. We're losing a lot of good ones, aren't we? Uh, Charlie Watts. Also, I don't, I don't know if anybody here is a fan of the band or has ever heard of the band Trouble, um, but their singer died um, from COVID-19. His name was Eric Wagner. I know we have some people who are into like Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots and like grunge and, uh, you know, rock and roll and whatnot. And um, Trouble was a was actually like a doom metal band really early on in their career but about halfway through their career they kind of switched it up and they did sort of this like psychedelic uh grungy kind of rock and roll and uh, one of my favorite albums of all time is by them and it's called manic frustration um so if you're looking for something to listen to manic frustration by trouble um the singer eric wagner just died but he had this really unique and raspy kind of voice that i've i found to be um very interesting <clears throat> All right, anyway, let's get it back to the soccer because this is a soccer podcast. It's not a music podcast. Uh, Silver Ray wants to know, with our D holding strong so far this season, despite everybody calling for Glessison and Baizo's heads, are they? Uh, are fans overreacting to a midsummer slump? Um, and when will our press start converting? We're pressing the same as last year but not getting much out of it. See, I disagree. I, I don't think that I, they're not pressing nearly as much. They're not. They're not doing it in a coordinated kind of way. Um, it doesn't look like they're making an effort to do that. It looks like they're making more of an effort to just defend as a team, but not necessarily, you know, attack and press as a team. Um, the next game I watch, I'll have to just pay more attention to it, focus on that specifically, but I don't think they're doing much of it. You know, I don't, I don't think fans are overreacting either. I think, I think people are still happy with where the team is right now. Still got a chance in the champions league at home. They're still in good position in the East. I just think people are expecting a little bit more, you know? Uh, Brian Hickey's favorite song is Tumbling Dice. Jared Young's favorite song is Sweet Black Angel. Also wants to know if uh, if not limited by current formation, where's God's Dog's best best position? Is there a better way to get both than he and Montero on the field? Yeah, so then here, here herein lies the problem. So if you play God's Dog at the 10 and Jamiro at the 8, great. Um, but God's Dog doesn't really seem to be finding the ball as the 10. So you play God's Dog as a striker. And you have Jamiro at the 10. You get Jameer on the ball a little bit more, but then you have Leon Flock and Alejandro Bedoya at the eights, and they're not really getting involved in the in the possession and the buildup. So it's kind of like picking, which identifying which of those is the lesser issue, you know. And then he went out and signed this guy Davo, right? So I mean, does he slot in, and does he play next to Shabelko? Does Cashberg come out? Is Santos the guy? What about Corey Burke? You know. Um, I think it was easier to shove a, a midfielder up there when you had a kind of a thin forward pool when Corey Burke wasn't around, but now that's not the case necessarily. So, um, Ricky says, why would Jim say that, that Davo was, um, was going to be involved in the game against Montreal in some way and then not play the only remaining striker on the bench down one at home? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I, the one thing about Jim is that I think sometimes he's a little conservative with his subs. I think we'd all agree with that. 
he got better with it last year for sure and the year before that. But, right, I mean, they were predictable. Sometimes they would come too late. I think Quinn Sullivan needs to come on the field a lot sooner than he is. And, uh, you know, can't be hesitant to make that change. I don't I don't know. I don't have an answer to the question. I'm not sure why he would say that and then not do it. Normally when Jim says that, like a new guy is going to be involved, like a guy coming back from injury is going to be involved, he does get them in the game. So that was a little uncharacteristic on his part. Uh, Frank's favorite Stone song is She's a Rainbow. And uh, he says, will we really know how Gosh Dog fits uh, if most of our offense is overlapping, runs down the wing and banging crosses in? I uh, feel like it's limited uh, Jamiro in the final third this year. Yeah, I know. It's hard to say. I mean, you, the gosh dog was supposed to be the remedy to that because it's like, well, we're not going to play a bunch of crosses. And if we got a proper number 10 in here, we can play the ball into his feet. But that's not happening. And so they're reverting back to what they were doing, which is banging crosses in. So um, it's kind of an incomplete. You know, it's an N slash A, right? It's not applicable because they're, they're still – Unless they try to play gosh dog, unless he comes and demands the ball and tries to get more involved, they're just going to find the next. They're going to find the path of least resistance, or try to go forward in another way, and that's up the flanks and and banging crosses in. So. Um, JC Burner says, if the Union were to play in three five two again, what would be the best lineup? Yeah, so you know you'd have Glessness, Elliott, and Finley. Interesting enough, they had Jack Elliott kind of as the anchor in the middle when they were playing three five two, and they had Glessness at RCB. Obviously, Finley's left-footed, so he played over on the left side. But then you have Wagner and Ambizo as your wingbacks. Uh, you'd have Jose Martinez in there. Normally what happens is like when you play a, a normal 3-5-2, you kind of have like a defensive guy and then and then like two kind of back-and-forth guys in front of him. So you could play Jamiro and uh, Bedoya as kind of like you know box-to-box dudes in front of um, Brujo take flock off the field and then you have your two strikers so that would be kind of how i would play it you know um dj edwards says at this point should quinn sullivan be starting i'm i'm not sure um or, or he says or at least got more consistent minutes seems to be doing more in his limited minutes than some of the starters and that's true uh but i don't know if quinn sullivan um i don't know what his passing ability is like i'm not sure if he's a a ball mover. I don't know if he's anything more than Fontana right now. I guess we can't answer that question until we see him in the starting lineup and give him a good uh, 65, 70 minutes to kind of play his way into the game to see if he's more than just a goal scorer coming off the bench. But uh, has he earned a start? Absolutely. You know, he's one of the few guys that's, that you would say is really like truly in form right now. Uh, Pete's favorite song is No Expectations. His concern is about the midfield gosh dog, the weak press. Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we got a lot of questions about that. People kind of wonder what the heck's going on with that. Um, I do not know. Uh, Sixers Charlie says thoughts on Cashburn's struggles. He's been invisible the last eight matches. Same thing with him, too. In 2019, you know, he was coming and he was finding the ball. And even last year, too, he was coming and getting on it. He was more involved in the buildup. He'd hold the ball up a little bit. He'd come out there and he'd, you know, he'd turn around. And just kind of let everybody else try to get forward, and he'd make the defense move a little bit more. But he doesn't seem to be—he just doesn't seem to be moving the way that he used to. Yeah, I mean, there's very little movement from from him in the final third. Um, Trey says, "Do you think Jamira will eventually transfer out?" I think so. I don't know if it'll be this window, but maybe next window for sure. Um, David Meyer says, Are "You amazed that the union seem to be one of the better front offices in the city?" Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, he says, would you, uh, from five years ago, would you even float that idea if it could happen? No, it's crazy. I mean, if you think about front offices in the city, 
Union's got to be number one. Like, who are you going to put ahead of Ernst Tanner right now? Howie Roseman? Daryl Morey, maybe. Um, Chuck Fletcher, no. Um, you know, Dave Dombrowski, uh, you know. No, I mean, after the entire, the entirety, not just general managers, but the entirety of the front office. Yeah, I mean, the, the union have the most clear picture and seem to be on the same page and trying to execute their, their vision, you know. So, um, uh, this is from COTY. He says, is Flock good enough to be starting at center mid over Montero, Bedoya, McGlynn? Uh, over McGlynn, yeah. Over those other guys, no, I don't think so. Although Bedoya, I mean, questions about whether Bedoya, if his legs are still there or not, you know, he just seems like he's just a step slower this year, you know, and he's, and just stuff that he normally would be able to do. He just seems like he's just a little late getting there. Everything, everything just seems to be like a half second behind with him. You know what I mean? Uh, which is from Craig. He says, which current or former union beat reporter would do the worst at the milk crate challenge? Oh man. It would be, I hate to say it, but it would be a tie between Dave and, and JT, you know? <laughs> excellent writers, excellent podcasters. I don't know if Dave and John could climb to the top of the uh, the milk crates. And uh, what, what do you do when you get there? You're supposed to climb up the top? Is that the point of the challenge? I don't know the TikTok shit, but I, I it, it looks hard. I don't think any of us could really, I don't think, to answer the question, I don't think any Union B reporter would do very well at the, the milk crate challenge. Uh, Mike says, are the union just average? Uh, no, no, they're a, a, an above average team for sure, but, um, they're not passing the eye test. I don't, I don't, I don't think they are what they were last year. No. Uh, John, we got another vote for tumbling dice in there from John and, uh, oh, that's it. That's all we got. A lot of questions about the midfield. We talked about that a lot with, uh, with, with Peter for sure. Um, my favorite Rolling Stone song is bitch or brown sugar. Brown Sugar, You Got Me Rockin' would be in there. Jumpin' Jack Flash. That would be my Mount Rushmore for sure. Anyway, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Rest in peace, Eric Wagner. If you listen to that Trouble album, let me know what you think. And uh, Otherwise, that's it. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. We appreciate you uh, listening. And uh, if you get a chance, yeah, do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and give us a good review. Um, I don't think it matters, but we don't have a ton, a ton of reviews on there. So we'd like to just kind of, uh, make our profile more robust as they say. All right. Thanks again, everybody for listening as always. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.